You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Do you like pop culture? I do. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Andrew. Oh. If you enjoy movies, television, all that kind of stuff, uh, we have a lot of fun on Sif Pop Podcast, part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. So you can come check us out every week. You can listen live or just download it to your podcast feed. Every single week, Aaron breaks down the newest movies that are big in theaters, and I make funny noises. <laughs> You could probably pick one of those that you would like. You can join us every weekend live by looking at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA, or you can find us in your podcast player of preference by searching for Sift Pop. Come on, Uncle Jim. Party start. Hear that music? From South Bend, Indiana. That's in America. It's sports yet. This is Jimmy Shorts. Thank you, Studio DNA Podcast Network. And here's your host, Corey Mann, an Indiana Broadcast Hall of Famer, Chuck Reeve. That's good. Now turn it off. And welcome to episode 120. That would be the Van Lingle Mungo episode. What? Van Lingle Mungo. Van Lingo Mungo. Van Lingle, I-L-I-N-G-L-E, mm-hmm. Mungo, M-U-N-G-O. Van Lingle Mungo. Yes. Van Lingle Mungo was a pitcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants in the 1930s and early 1940s and won 120 career games. Probably the most fined player of his era. He was a bit combative both on and off the field. And he is best remembered because that was the title of a novelty song by Dave Frischberg back in the late 60s where he recited the names of baseball players from the 1940s mm-hmm. and the refrain was Van Lingle Mungo. <laughs> that might be my new favorite song. I'm sorry, Heine Manouche. Van Lingle Mungo. So apparently one of the stories about uh, Mungo is he was on a visit to Cuba when Americans could still go to Cuba. I guess we can now, too. Uh, but he was caught in a compromising position with a married woman by her husband. Uh, Mungo punched the husband in the eye. The husband attacked Mungo with a butcher knife. And the Dodgers executive had to smuggle Mungo in a laundry cart to a seaplane waiting off a wharf in order to escape the country. Can we hashtag smuggle Mungo again? Maybe. Okay. So I, I think your project for the editing of said show is to find <laughs> the song Van Lingle Mungo 
to play <laughs> in here somewhere. I accept the challenge. Well, this is kind of big news. Let's talk about Jaden Ivey. You know, I'm not exactly sure what to say about this. Well, first of all, let me tell what the story is. The story is that Jaden Ivey announced on Instagram last night that he is transferring from Marion to Lalamere Academy in Laporte. Lalamere Academy is a team that is not recognized by the IHSA. Uh, they do play basketball and they go around the country, so they're not bound by IHSA rules on travel and things like that. Okay. So it would give him more national exposure to play at a place like this. However, he's already committed to Purdue University. In, in doing so, he, he forfeits any opportunity that he would have to be honored as Mr. Basketball to play for the Indiana All-Star team next year. Uh, to go after Demetrius Jackson's Marion school school record. Everybody makes decisions for their own reasons. In his Instagram post, Jaden Ivey did not give his reasons. And seeing how his Instagram post came out about 10 o'clock last night, and we're recording this at 9 o'clock Monday morning, I haven't had a chance to place any phone calls to ask Jaden Ivey or anybody around him why he made the decision that he did. What does your gut tell you? My gut tells me that he wants to improve his game by playing against better competition. Okay. And so by transferring to La Lumiere Academy, he allows himself to do that. Is Personally, there, Is there I, less of a chance for him to get hurt there? No. Okay. No, there's no less chance of getting hurt any, any place. Okay. Now. I know that there are going to be a lot of people that are like, he's being selfish, he's not looking out for his teammates, uh, he's not getting what the high school basketball experience is all about. And I can't necessarily dispute those things either. I'm just telling you here, as we record this, that's the information that we have. It would be too early for me to make a judgment or and it's certainly not my place to tell any individual um, why their decision is good or bad in terms of where they're deciding to play. Is that a type of school that you stay at? Uh, you like move into? Yeah, it's like a boarding school. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but it's not far from home. His mom, Niel, the assistant coach at Notre Dame Women's Basketball, could certainly see him just about any time that she was home. Obviously, she's got a busy schedule with recruiting and things like that, too. Let's talk about this jersey you're wearing. Uh, it doesn't show up well on the podcast, but I'm wearing my new Carlisle Newts jersey that I was given yesterday when I went to the World Wiffle Ball Championship. Or I shouldn't say the World Wiffle Ball Championship. That's in Chicago. This is the Hometown Cup Wiffle Ball Championship. It's played in New Carlisle every year. They've been doing it for the last 12 years. Kobe Keck, a former New Prairie athlete whom I covered back in his days with the Cougars under Bart Curtis, uh, is the organizer of it. It's played in the backyard of his dad, Bob. They have a vacant lot behind their house that they have turned into a little place that they call Migley Field. Migley Field has a Wrigley Field-style marquee. It has a Wrigley Field-style scoreboard. Yesterday, they brought in a video board to uh, show messages complete with Cub-style graphics. Um, 
Wayne Messmer doing the national anthem, the whole nine yards. They had uh, Gary Pressy organ music playing before the game. <laughs> it was it was a treat. If you have never been to Migley Field, you need to make the pilgrimage and go. Okay. They asked me to throw out the first pitch. I was more than happy to oblige, not expecting any kind of remuneration. They were kind enough to give me this very colorful New Carlisle Newt's jersey with a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on the front and the number 46 with my name on the back. Uh, Much appreciated. They had, I believe, 70 teams in the tournament this year, and Bob was telling me it's down 10. They had 80 one year. Hmm. Uh, They come from all over. They have come from as far away as Saskatchewan, four guys that came down, stayed in an RV for the weekend out in the parking lot. Uh, at the, uh, I think it's either a school or a library. That's did you say four guys? <clears throat> uh, typically, you can have a team with as many as uh, I think five. Um, so a pitcher, someone pitcher a, and two fielders, two basically. fielders, you, and wow. then you get a couple of extra hitters that can sub in. Okay, wow, good time. Uh, yeah, it was a good time, and, and I was there for uh, the semifinal games. The Granger Panthers won the tournament yesterday. The wind was blowing out at Migley, so the final score of the championship game was 32-26. to 26. Uh, But it's just it's guys playing wiffle ball, but it's very well organized. They keep score. They keep stats. They, they do it upright. So uh, that's a high score. What's what's the key to winning a wiffle ball game? I uh, hit hit the ball over the fence. That helps a lot. Hitting the ball over the fence. Yeah. All right. And the measurement of home plate defense? Uh, I believe it's a, about a hundred feet. About a hundred. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Wiffle so ball. They even have these little touches oh. like uh, foul poles where they have, uh, hall. I believe either retired or Hall of Fame numbers on flags flying from the poles. I mean, it's they have left no detail to chance. As I have worked with you in this second season of our friendship co-worker status, mm-hmm. this is the third piece of clothing I've seen you get. What were the other two? Uh, you got a Bears jersey from Big yes. and Tall way yes. back in the day. Yes, I did. And the Irish uh, baseball uh, uniform, which is framed and mm-hmm. up in my office here. And so this is number three. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the Sports Yak uh, limited edition hoodie. Yes, which <laughs> my wife four. wears. Which, my wife wears that. As she should. To uh, help advertise the show, and it's obviously done wonders. Yes, the numbers are through the roof. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was my weekend. Your weekend was spent on a uh, special tour of the Friendly Confines. You know what? You texted me. I told you what time we were going. You said, you'll love it. And you are right. I was emotional. I was teary-eyed a couple times. Um, Ron was our tour guide. He's two months into this job. This is his retirement. He was a baseball historian. I got his card. And um, he first walked us into the park, which was spotless because there was no game at Wrigley yesterday. Sat us down and walked us through the history of the park. Learned a lot of things. Um, I By the questions. way, I bet you Ron knows who Van Lingle Mungo is. I wish I would have talked about Van Lingle Mungo. <laughs> uh, he he did say that the, you know back in the day, six to eight balls per game. And I asked you know how many these days because we've asked that before. Twelve dozen. 
Then we got up and walked over into the bleachers. He told a lot of stories about the bleachers, the bleacher bums, the bleacher bum races, the 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 uh, the basic uh, basket net to catch people. Yes. In 1977, 19 people fell from the bleachers. So that's when it's like, all right, we should probably do something about that. And let's see what else. We went down into the uh, right field corner, right where the uh, in the Ivy you'll see 353 and got to take pictures there. And he told us some cool Ivy stories about uh, one player that shook the Ivy and two balls had popped out during play. He threw one to second, one home. Uh, Rizzo found a piece of a ball from the 40s. They found out earlier this season. Then we went into the opposing team's locker room. And how also, small that is. How small that is, which was also used to be the Bears locker room, which was even smaller back then. And also the green room for every rock star to play uh, Wrigley Field. And so he goes, what's one word, you know, that you would sum up this? And people were saying small. Another per- person said this or that. I grabbed a chessboard that was sitting in a shelving unit. And I said, collector's item. How many people, how many players do you think might have played chess on that set? Or one of those board games? Sure. Or one of those decks of cards? You know? I was like, collector's item. And a couple of guys looked at me like, oh. <laughs> you don't. You know, you never know. Yeah. Then we hoofed it way up to the press box. It's a long walk. It's a, it's a haul. And uh, I saw where uh, Gary Pressey sits with the organ. I saw where uh, radio does their deal, TV does their deal, and then we sat in the press Not box. Not very big booths, are they? They are very small. Yeah. Compared to the ones I've been at in Notre Dame, that's how I would compare a, a press box. I guarantee you, compared to any other Major League Stadium, they're small. small. And I sat at the uh, spot of a Chicago Tribune writer named Mike something. Okay. Uh, I sat in the front row of the press box, and uh, I asked if I could belt out the seventh inning stretch because we were in the moment, Chuck Freebie. I got an empty ballpark and a little bit of voice left. And the biggest (laughs) ham on the tour. (laughs) Well, there's that. All right, Cubs fans! And a one! And a two! And a take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if we ever get back, cause it's root, root, root for the Cubbies. If they don't win, it's a shame. Cause it's one, two, three strikes are out at the old ball game. Let's get some runs! I was uh, pleasantly surprised on how much fun I had, how much information I learned. My buddy said he'd heard more baseball in the last 90 minutes than he did his last 58 years on the planet. Well, probably not a big baseball fan. Mm -mm. Uh, Your buddy lives in Tennessee, so they don't have a major league team. No. And hopefully he enjoyed it, too. Oh, it was so fun. And just sitting in that press box, all the different places I've sat in there and i've thought of different places where you've sat you've told me where you've sat before sure and different friends of mine it's just and when it's clean 
and the sprinklers are going off, and you got a guy down there raking or doing whatever. It, it was a it was a wonderful day. One of the joys of my job when I was doing play by play for baseball is you get to the ballpark when the team does, and you frequently get there for a road game, um, two and a half hours before the game, and the smells and the sights and the sounds, people just getting in, setting up this that smell of the popcorn starting or the the dog starting, the smell of the fresh cut grass. Um, there are certain just sights, sounds, scents that are very attractive about that. Mm-hmm. Got to go down in the dugout, ran up the steps like I was running onto the field, sure. uh, kind of stood where Joe sits and stands, put my hands up there. That was hot. Woo. And then uh, we called it a day. And my last question to Ron was, I'm bringing my 12-year-old in a couple of weeks. Where's the where's the prime real estate to get an autograph? And he said, oh, the kids corral out in left field. All the kids go there after the game, and a majority of the players love to stop by and do that for the kids. And I yeah. said, perfect. I said, Javi stops there pretty much every time. Bryant, Rizzo. I said, you're saying all the names I want to hear. I mean, my son wants to hear. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of names I want to hear, Ben Zobrist. Apparently ready to come back or at least begin his rehab assignment. He uh, The target is to get him on the Major League roster by August 31st, so he would be eligible for the postseason should the Cubs make the postseason. Obviously, Zobrist left this ball club in May for personal reasons, uh, going through a divorce with his wife, Juliet. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, that became public knowledge. That's all we know. It's been a lengthy uh, sit-out. He's been in contact with the Cubs throughout and indicated to the Cubs he's ready to try to return to baseball. I've been thinking about this over the weekend and trying to come at it in a couple of different ways I wanted to ask you question-wise. The psychology of coming back when you have a team that's been playing together all summer long and there's that bonding and we're going to do this together and here comes Ben from what would feel like the outside, how do you think this guy feels about that? Or, hey, we're all professionals getting big old checks. Let's just play this game and win. You know, it's it's a different level. Obviously, chemistry in a locker room, I think, is something that can never be overrated. I think if you have good chemistry in a locker room, it helps a lot. Zobrist is well-respected in that locker room, so I think he would be welcomed back with open arms. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen a little bit of a a downturn in this team without him. He he was having a, a decent year uh, prior to all this. Now, all that said, this kind of thing, not the divorce sit out, but players coming and going on a on a team, that happens whether it's injuries, trades, minor league call-ups, a team rarely stands pat as the same 25 guys over the course of a season. In fact, it never does. So this isn't anything anybody in that locker room won't be able to handle. Mm -hmm. Russell's sitting down in the minors? Russell is down in the minors right now. Ian Happ is back up with the Cubs. He had spent most of the year in the minors. Uh, we talked about how bad Addison Russell had been and, of course, his own personal issues. I'm fine if he stays in the minors. 
Uh, Hap has not really been that productive since being called up from Iowa. Some of that might have been matchup problems with the Brewers. Some of it might just be making the adjustment back to the major leagues. We'll see how he fares. At least the Cubs did get one win in Milwaukee, but what did we say a week ago? We said this road trip is coming up, and they've got to be able to go at least four and five, and preferably five and four. Well, the Cubs have lost four games on this road trip in the opponent's last at bat. They've had the lead in every game since the All Star break. They've played 15 games since the All Star break. They're nine and six, which isn't a bad record. That's 600 baseball. But they've had the lead. In every game, they have blown 20 leads this season, and nine of those leads have been after the seventh inning. Those are the heartbreaking ones. And they had two heartbreaking ones in Milwaukee over the weekend. 2 nothing lead on Friday, thanks to Kyle Hendricks. The combination of Steve Ciszek and Pedro Strope came in to blow that one. The Cubs lose 3-2. They... <clears throat> lose a 2 nothing lead with John Lester on the mound on Saturday. Lester asked to come out of that game. Joe Madden was facing a lot of criticism because he took Lester out after 94 pitches. You have to remember, Lester missed the start on Wednesday in San Francisco because of an illness. He was still on the last day of his Z-Pack when he pitched on Saturday. He said he was tired and gassed. Hmm. So he rarely asked to come out of a game, but he had gone to... Madden, the pitching coach, Tommy Hudovy, and asked to be removed from the game. Now, why Madden brought in C-Sheck rather than Roman Wick or Kyle Ryan or whoever, I don't know. C-Sheck had struggled on Friday, and uh, he only lasted three pitches. He gave up a solo homer and a double, and Madden got him out of there, but three batters later it was tied at two. Almora hits a home run to lead off the 10th, and the Cubs have a 3-2 lead. So, of course, Joe makes the move that everybody would tell him to make. You go get Craig Kimbrell to close this thing out. Kimbrell gives gives up a home run to Yelich, a two-run homer to Hiatu, the rookie out of UC Irvine, who I saw play in college, and the Brewers walk off with a 5-3 win. And... Credit to the Cubs. They bounced back yesterday. Schwarber with a grand slam and a three-run bomb. Caratini had a three-run bomb. Cubs beat the Brewers 11-4. to And despite all this rough patch that they've been on, they are still tied for first in the National League Central with the Cardinals two games ahead of Milwaukee. You took your wife to the Cubs-Padres game? Yes. What anniversary was that? That was our wedding anniversary, and that was our 28th. 28th. They had a box of balls from that game, and I stared at them and stared at them and could not in my mind remember why I should get one of those. <laughs> and I and then I'm driving home last night from Chicago, and I was like, they went on their wedding anniversary. Wouldn't that be cool to have a ball, a game ball? For, and I just, oh. So hopefully it's upstairs, and I know exactly where they're at in the Cubs, uh, the new store, uh, upstairs where you can get uh, – there's the foo-foo stuff upstairs. Oh, kind yeah. Of the more pricey yeah. stuff. But, it, I mean, it wasn't an expensive ball. I mean, it's a game-worn ball, and I thought, I bet you they'd like that. And I just compl- I was like, why Why do I want to buy this ball? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like the Padres. I wasn't at that game. I remember it's a Saturday. Why, you know? 
And then four hours later, that'll happen. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. The White Sox lose to the Twins yesterday, 11-1. to We talked about Ciszek only lasting three pitches in his relief outing. How about when your starter, Dylan Covey, only goes 14 pitches because the Twins have already rocked him for five runs? Uh, the Twins have a very potent lineup this year. They reached the 200 homer mark in only 103 games, which is the fastest team to do that in Major League history. And uh, they had been running away with the American League Central. Now, Cleveland has made a move, and the Tribe are only two back despite losing yesterday. So now you have a race again in the American League Central. Uh, the White Sox, remember when we were talking about Ricky Renneria's team flirting with the 500 mark? In yes. fact, when they were playing the Cubs in the Crosstown Classic, had they beaten the Cubs in the second game of that series, they would have hit the 500 mark. Well, they're currently 11 games below 500 and 46 and 57, and people wondering once again whether Rick Renneria is the guy to lead that team or not. Allison is a school teacher in Chicago for eight years. She's the softball coach at the same school. Okay. And she's been a server at Lou Malnati's for those eight years as well. And I said, is that to uh, help with your finances? And she says, it's my fun money. I love working here. It's my fun money. Kind of almost a way to get away from the school kind of atmosphere. Right. And uh, we ta- started talking a little bit about baseball. And she said, I'm a White Sox fan. She goes, I think you're a Cubs fan. I said, I am. She goes, here's the difference between you and I. White Sox fans are angry baseball fanatics. Chicago Cub fans are frat boys. Well, I will say at the Cub game that we went to, Mm -hmm. there was, and I think I detailed this on one of the yaks, there were too many people not really paying attention to the game. And that bothered me. Yeah. Because that's the reputation of Cub fans. That's not how I go to a game, but I see where people... Make that comment. Yeah, I got that. I now, didn't want to agree with her, but I got it. Now, White Sox fans are angry because, A, they all have a complex because it is a Cubs town. So they all have this little brother inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. Number two, between Wrigley Field or Guaranteed Rate Field, where would you rather be? I mean, come on. Right. And number three... For the last five years or so, the Cubs have been markedly better than the White Sox. Now, it hasn't always been that way. We know the White Sox won the title in 2005. But the changes the Cubs have made, and particularly here in the Joe Madden era, the Cubs have ruled the town in terms of baseball. The The Sox are coming. They're going to have their day here in a couple of years, but they're still not there yet. South Bend Cubs on a roll. Uh, they won 13-4 to yesterday, and Buddy Bailey's team, uh, despite not having the best record in the second half, uh, still finds themselves in the Midwest League wildcard, mainly based on what they did in the first half. And they currently lead that wildcard race. Uh, boy, did they get a great outing. I think it was Thursday night. It's been a while since we've done a yak. Uh, but Thursday night, Braylon Marquez, who is... I believe, a second-round draft pick for the Cubs. Kid out of Puerto Rico. 
and he struck out 14 batters in six innings. I was at that game. And, man, he must have – not only must he had a great fastball that night, but the problem for Braylon Marquez throughout the year, and I think we talked about this when Buddy was in here, was his ability to control that fastball. Well, he had control on Thursday night. Tall boy. Yes. Six-something. And I said Puerto Rico. It might be he's from the Dominican Republic. Okay. This is Tim Newton, the voice of Purdue football. You're listening to Sports Yak, the number one sports podcast on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Actually, the only sports podcast on the network. Here are Chuck and Corey. Let's talk a little bit about college football because... College football season begins in 32 days on Pulse FM with the Purdue Boilermakers taking on Nevada in the season opener. It's actually on a Friday night. And Purdue, Jeff Brome has been recruiting uh, a different style of player than we're used to seeing at Purdue. Uh, To be honest, Purdue has kind of been a – had the reputation, even though they've had good quarterbacks over the year – a kind of a a plotting, uh, trodgy kind of team. Well, Rondale Moore certainly changed that last year. He's the wide receiver who was one of the top freshmen in all of college football, just an electric player to watch, and got the attention of Reggie Bush, who's now going to be an analyst for Fox Sports College Football. And Reggie Bush over the weekend tweeted out that Rondale Moore is one of the most exciting football players in all of college football and kind of reminds me of himself. And he posted some of Rondale Moore's freshman highlights and referred to him as the fastest player in college football. And then Purdue goes out and gets a kid out of the state of Illinois, and I'm I'm feverishly looking through my tweets right now to try to find his name, but a young man out of Illinois who is – probably the fastest player in the state of Illinois, and again gives Purdue the dimension of speed that they've been lacking over the years. And Marcellus Moore is his name, 5'8", 165 pounds, out of Plainfield, Illinois. He has won the Illinois State Track and Field Championships six times and recently set a new 4x200-meter under-20 world record. So, another speedy receiver for the Boilermakers. They can find themselves a decent quarterback. They could be a fun offense to watch under Jeff Brown. Of course, Notre Dame football will start on Labor Day night. So, five Mondays from now. Uh, The Irish will take the field down in Louisville. A lot of questions from Brian Kelly's team entering the year. We'll talk about this more as the season progresses, but... The linebacker issue is probably the biggest question mark on defense. And then on offense, all right, who's going to be your number one running back? How's the receiving core going to shape up? And can Ian Book build on what he did last year and actually improve? Because the question mark for Brian Kelly teams throughout his decade here at Notre Dame has been, why don't quarterbacks get better in their second year under Kelly? Now you've got an a different offensive coordinator now in Chip Long than, than Brian has had for much of his tenure. We'll see if that makes a difference, too. Name those quarterbacks that did not get better in their sophomore year that you're talking about. Everett Golson, Malik Zaire, uh, 
I don't think Tommy Reese was necessarily better in his second year. Deshaun Kaiser, none of them. While we uh, took Friday off, a young man named Trey made an announcement. Trey Galloway out of Culver Academy going down to IU to play his college basketball. Uh, Galloway uh, widely regarded as a potential Mr. Basketball candidate in the state of Indiana has helped Culver Academy to a state championship and a state runner-up finish. They'll elevate to Class 4A this year. His dad, Mark, was a standout player at Bethel. He is his coach at Culver Academy. Trey, 6'5", good ball handler, needs to work on his outside shot a little bit, I think, uh, but that's not a news flash to him. I think he's aware of that. And... Uh, attacks the basket well, handles the ball well, and being a coach's kid, I think, understands the game very well. Okay. There are two South Bend kids who have both been offered by Notre Dame. Doesn't yeah. mean they're necessarily going there, but J.R. Kinesny of St. Joe and Blake Wesley of Riley both received offers from Mike Bray last Friday uh, to go to Notre Dame. I can't remember the last time that we had two kids from this area get Notre Dame offers at the same time. Uh, obviously, Demetrius Jackson did. I don't know if Devin Kennedy actually got an offer from Notre Dame or not. Other Trey Galloway got an offer from Notre Dame. Jay Nivey got offered from Notre Dame. But same day, two kids from the NIC. So, you know, this is the other thing, kind of bring it full circle on high school basketball that kind of stinks about Ivy going to La Lumiere. And again, this is from just a fan standpoint. I'm not criticizing his move necessarily for his own reasons. But as a fan in the NIC, when you had Ivy and Kinesny and Wesley, three kids getting D1 offers, that was going to be a fun season to watch. You've seen both of these young men uh, play that got offers from Notre Dame. Who fits in quickly? Woof. Good question. They're they're very similar players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knesny has a better outside shot right now. What do you think Bray saw in them that he needs? Um, athleticism. He needs people that can slash and attack the basket. Okay. And uh, both of them will need to get in the weight room. But Tony Rolinski, the coach, the strength and conditioning coach for the Irish, has shown that he can get those kind of results. Kinesny, like I said, has the better outside shot. And I think he would be more apt to get playing time right away because of that. Doesn't mean Wesley can't develop that part of his game over the next couple of years. If you're planning on going to the movies, uh, stay clear of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Great cast. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. Why does this movie fail? Because he takes creative freedoms with a historic event that was monstrous in the 60s, Charles Manson. Yes. And he puts his own twist on maybe what he wanted to happen, which is like, what is the point? Yeah. Like, I love the throwback of it. I think he did a good job of the aesthetics of the cars, the advertisements. You know, the real Don Steele on L.A. Radio, KB, whatever, and and the clothing and all that. But then it leads up to this evening when the Manson followers are going to Sharon Tate's house 
but they end up at uh, Rick, what's his face, uh, uh, a fictional character played by Leonardo. And it's just, it's nut, insane, weird. Like, what? I just, what was the point of it? My buddy loved it. He loves Quentin Tarantino movies. I uh, will not get the two hours and 40 minutes back. Oh, that's two another hours killer. And 40 minutes. That's another killer. Yeah. Oh, no thanks. Stay clear. Stay clear. That was the only cinema you experienced over the weekend, right? It was. Mm-hmm. Okay. ELO again, which was fantastic. It was a it was a fun time. I didn't think that was going to be that much different than your trip to. Yeah, it was the exact same playlist, yeah. which is fine. But I got to experience it with my friend, who's been a long time fan, and this was his first time seeing it. Crowd was much more into it than Grand Rapids. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm also going to draw a line in the sand on pizza. Oh, okay. Because you were big. On Malnati's. Big. I've done Giordano's. I've done Gino's East, where we used to stay when we would go for the weekend. There's a Giordano's right right two blocks down. I'm going Lou Malnati's, the best pizza in Chicago. Wow. What put it over the top? Uh, it's It was great coming out of the oven when it did. We yeah. ordered uh, in advance. We had to stand around for about 45 minutes. We sat down, had a salad. About 20 minutes later, here comes the pizza. It was so good. We took the leftovers back. They were even better the next day. But Sometimes pizza will be that way. But the way they make it, first of all, that crust, oh, my gosh. But the layer of meat was my favorite part. It is a, it's not just like some sausage. Ta- it is a sausage meat layer. I loved it. Now, see, I had an interesting pizza experience myself while we were away okay down in dayton place called milano's on brown street which is the happening area of dayton where my daughter goes to school and i'm on this particular health plan where i'm trying to avoid carbs yes and of course pizza crust has a lot of carbs typically and i know there are cauliflower crusts out there i haven't sampled that yet my wife has made some Uh, keto pizza crusts which are very good but obviously you can't necessarily get that when you go to a restaurant but this particular restaurant said you can get one of our small pizzas crustless i thought well this is worth sampling and seeing how to try it so the the owner actually brought it out and my daughter said how does this work and he said, I had so many of my wait staff on that keto diet who said, we can't eat your pizzas. And I said, well, what can I do to sell pizzas to that that crowd? And so he makes it in like a, a tinfoil pan, and he just throws all the pizza ingredients in there except without the crust. Hmm. And you eat it out of the tinfoil pan. And it was it was very good. Yeah? Would you get it again? Uh, I would get a different pizza than what I did, but yes. And the name of this place in Dayton? Milano's. Mm-hmm. Okay. No relation to Lou Malnati. No. Because or, it's spelled different. Or Van Lingelmunga. Want to leave a comment or a question or just let us know you're listening and where you're at? 574-210-7950. We call that the Yak Line. I left a message on the Yak Line. Yes, you did.
And uh, you can always email us to thesportsyak with two Ks at gmail.com. On Twitter with two Ks, Instagram. Chuck, you're on Twitter as well. Yes, at 46 Sports. Until next time, sports fans. Ooga Luga Van Lingo Mungo. Damn.